You are listening to the Lima Community Church Podcast. The following was recorded at Lima Community Church of the Nazarene in Lima, Ohio. Tony Campolo was an evangelist, and uh, he was speaking in, um, in Hawaii, so he flew over a day before to kind of get acclimated to the time difference from Eastern Standard Time to Hawaii time, whatever that is, about seven hours difference. But at three o'clock in the middle of the night, he was wide awake and he was hungry. So he gets up and, and he begins to wander the streets of Honolulu to find something to eat. He found a little greasy spoon, and he goes in and he orders some eggs and some bacon and talks a little bit to the owner behind the counter. His name is Harry. And about 3.30, he hears the bell above the door and in marches about seven or eight prostitutes that are finished working for the night. And they come in and they order coffee and some donuts and spend about half an hour, then go home. And one of them sits right next to him and she's talking to the lady next to her. She says, you know what, tomorrow's my birthday. The lady next to her says, so? What do you want me to do, bake a cake? She said, no. I'm just telling you it's my birthday. What, you want me to throw you a party? That She said, no. Why are you being so mean? I'm just telling you. Forget it. Just forget I said anything about it. They ate in silence, finished their donuts and coffee, and left. Tony Campolo, this great preacher, says to Harry, he says, uh, he says hey, do these... Ladies come in here every, every night. They come in here every night, he says. They come in at 3.30 every night. He says, oh. He says, the lady sitting next to me, that's Agnes. He says, that's Agnes. She's a nice lady. He said, yeah, well, it's her birthday tomorrow. Is that right? Yeah. You know, why don't we throw her a birthday party? Harry says, huh? Then he says, hey, Louise. Hey, Louise, come out here. His little wife comes out, and he says, this guy wants to throw Agnes the birthday party. And Louise says, huh, that's a great idea. That's a great idea. And, and finally, Harry says, well, yeah, that's a great idea. He said, I'll bake the cake. And Tony Campolo says, well, I'll get the decorations, and this one did this. And So the next morning at 2.30, Tony Campolo comes, He's got crepe paper and banners and balloons. They blow up. And, and Harry had made a great cake. And, and the, apparently the word got out. <laughs> because almost every prostitute in Honolulu was in this little diner. 3.30, the door opens with the bell above it. and In walks Agnes. And everybody in the diner says, Happy birthday, Agnes! And she stands there. She's stunned. And, and Harry brings this cake and puts it right in front of her. He said, I made you a cake, Agnes. She says, wow. He said, blow out the candles. She's 39, so there's a lot of candles. She takes three different breaths to get them all blown out. By this time, she's crying. Harry hands her a knife and says, cut the cake, Agnes. She says, Harry is... Is it okay if I just look at it a little bit longer before I cut it? Happy birthday, Agnes. He says, yeah, it's okay. He says, you can take it home if you want. She said, can I? Can I take it home? Well, I'll be right back. I'll take it home. I'll be right back. And she leaves with the cake. 
where everybody in the room is stunned. So Tony Campolo says, well, let's pray. <laughs> everybody bows their heads. Tony leads them in a prayer for Agnes. That her life would go well. That she would receive the Lord's mercy. That he would rescue her. He said, amen. Harry says, hey, I didn't know you were a preacher. What kind of church do you come from? Tony Campolo says, this was a moment of inspiration. He said, I come from a church that throws birthday parties for prostitutes at 3.30 in the morning. Harry says, nah. He says, there ain't no church like that. If there was, I'd go to it. You know, it's interesting. As we look at Jesus and his ministry, what's interesting is he attracted sinners a bunch of them while repelling the religious types. All these sinners wanting to be close to him and all the religious types beating the path to get away from him. It's interesting that today it seems to be almost the opposite. There might be something wrong with that. You know, you, you look at who Jesus spent time with. And you think about the church that he wanted to establish. And if we're going to follow Jesus' lead, we're going to have to decide that the church has to be a little messy. And sometimes a lot messy. He never intended the church to be a place where just really holy people get together, but intended the church to be a place where broken people come to find hope and healing. I mean, just look at the people Jesus attracted. The, 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 the sinful lady who broke an alabaster jar and poured it on Jesus. Or the lady who was drugged into the temple courtyard because she was caught in the very act of adultery and these self-pious Pharisees says, what should we do, stone her? It's always curious to me that uh, they didn't bring the man. As far as I know, it takes two to commit adultery. Or the lady he met at the well who had had five husbands and couldn't convince the sixth man to marry her. Or a despised tax collector named Zacchaeus who turned against his countrymen and collected taxes for Rome. Or a hot-headed fisherman named Peter. Or a lady who had spent her entire life savings, savings trying to eradicate this, this flow of blood that had cursed her for 12 years. Or the lepers Jesus routinely touched and prayed over. Or the blind beggar named Bartimaeus. And there are many blind beggars but this one left outside the, the streets to beg for coins to help him find another meal. 
or the team of disciples who wouldn't qualify for even the most menial of tasks in the temple. These are the people Jesus reached out to. These are the people he loved. These are the people that brought him no small amount of criticism. The opening verses of Luke 15 says they criticized him because he had the audacity to eat with sinners. And Jesus is creating a church that comes around people like these and helps them move forward. And it must grieve his heart when he sees a church shoot its own wounded when it's his intention that we would carry our wounded to the Father and ask for his help. We are beginning, as Jonathan mentioned, um, a sermon series on Ephesians. And I'm excited about it. I really am. We're going to take Ephesians 4, 5, and 6 because we've already covered the first three chapters a year or two ago. And these last three chapters talk about who we are and what we do. The first three chapters of Ephesians are theology. This is who we are. This is what God has done. Chapters 4, 5, and 6 says, therefore, and anytime there's a therefore means what transpired is being applied now. Therefore, this is how we live We've gone off the lectionary for the last two sermon series. I'm not sure when we'll go back to it, but I, I just felt like we needed to hear some direct instruction to how we live. So here's the word. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. Paul here lists five attitudes that would signify that we are walking in a manner worthy of our calling. He begins with the word humility, which is really the foundation for all the other words. Humility here is a compound word. In fact, more than likely, it was put together by Paul because there was no word uh, in, in, the, in the common um, uh, vocabulary of the day. Prior to this, anybody who was humble was a coward, who was somebody that was despised. John Wesley said, neither the Romans or the Greeks had a word for humility. Their thought was that, that, that somebody who was humble was abhorrent. So they had no word for it. The concept to them, the Greeks and the Romans, was that being humble was ignoble. It was cowardly. And when they referred to somebody with the descriptive of them being humble, it was always in criticism. But humility is the most profound of Christian virtues. We cannot, can't even begin to please the Lord without humility. It's said of Jesus, who, even though he was in very nature, God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, something, something to be used for his own advantage, but he humbled himself to death, even death on a cross. He humbled himself. Humility means that we see ourselves as God sees us. 
with infinite and inherent value, but with no more value than anyone else. Humility is essential to unity. Pride, pride lurks behind all discord. The greatest single uh, secret to unity is humility. And you think about it, it's not hard to prove this. The people we immediately, instinctually like, we find it easy to get with, get along with. They, they treat us with the respect that we think we're deserving of. And the people that we immediately or instinctually uh, dislike and move away from are those who treat us without such respect. Now, humility gives birth to gentleness. And this refers to a, a mild spirit. It, it, its original meaning it has a, a quality of self-control. The opposite of gentleness is vindictiveness or vengeance. This word uh, it can be translated either meekness or gentleness. Jesus used the adjectival form of this in uh, Matthew 5.5, 5, blessed are the meek. Jesus used this word to describe his own character, for I am gentle, says in Matthew 11. And of course, gentleness is one of the fruit of the spirit that we study in Galatians, the fifth chapter. The word is also sometimes used in ancient literature to describe an animal that is tamed, mostly horses. It said, is this horse meek or gentle? In other words, is it broken? Can I ride it? Such an animal still has strength and spirit, but its will is under control of its master. Humility, gentleness, patience, the third attribute that characterizes the way that we are to regard one another, patience. It's an outgrowth of humility and gentleness. The Greek word literally means long-tempered. Uh, sometimes it's translated long-suffering, especially in the, the older versions, long-suffering. A, a patient person endures negative circumstances and doesn't give in to them. Adam, Adam received the promise of God, but he had to wait many years for, for its fulfillment. So the writer to the Hebrews said, having patiently waited, he obtained his promise in Hebrews 6. Now, what's on your mind right now? What's bugging you right now? Have you waited 25 years to see it resolved? But that's what Abraham did. Patience allows for God's perspective on our situation. And it doesn't feed upon our human impatience. Well, bearing with one another would be next. A fourth characteristic of, of a Christian in a body of Christ that would walk worthily is to forbear, to bear with one another in love. Uh, the, the directive to bear with one another makes it clear that Paul is talking primarily about our relationships with one another in the same body and not necessarily those outside of it. 
It could could suggest an attitude of endurance or resignation to suffering or even toleration. It actually indicates even a more dynamic attitude of love. To bear with actually means to to hold him up. It's It's to put up with somebody else's faults and idiosyncrasies, knowing that We each have our own. As our Father has exercised long-suffering patience with our faults and our weaknesses, he's saying, go and do likewise. We are to, to do the same with one another. We are called to put others for whom Christ died before ourselves. This self-giving emulates Jesus with the next word, love. Peter tells us that love covers a multitude of sins, 1 Peter 4, 8. It, it throws a blanket over the sins of others, not, not to excuse them or to justify them, but to keep these sins from becoming any more known than is necessary. Forbearing love takes abuse from others while still loving them. Forbearing love loves continuously and unconditionally. There's, the word for this in the original language is agape. You might know that word. It's the strongest, highest form of love. It's the word Jesus used when he says, but I tell you, love your enemies in Matthew 5, 44. The outgrowth of all of this would be peace. Humility, gentleness, patience, forbearance, and love results in peace. It's interesting here um, that Paul says, I urge you, therefore, that in the original language, it, 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 it means to spare no effort. So the third verse, which we read a little bit ago, could just as easily read, spare no effort to keep the unity of peace through the, bond, the unity of the spirit through the bonds of peace. Paul calls for unity in the third verse and then spends the next 13 verses showing us what it means. Humility gives birth to gentleness. Gentleness gives birth to patience. Patience gives birth to forbearing love. You know, as we... Uh, are coming out of this horrible 16 months of COVID. It, it seems to me that the, the church is even less like we, we read than we were before. We've been isolated. We've not been together a lot. Some of us have fed uh, our appetite of certain um, news feeds that have bolstered our personal opinions. And if we're not careful, we can look in the church for someone who thinks just like us and, and think that's the important thing. But in the original church, Paul said there's neither slave nor free, Jew nor Greek, barbarian or civilized, They had 
slaves and high-ranking royalty in the same church. They couldn't see things eye to eye. But they weren't called to. They were called to a higher purpose. I've personally taken a lot of grief in that through a divisive election cycle, I, I never talked about it. Some have thought that was cowardice. No, that's what I've done for 40 years. For 40 years, I've said, no, I'm not going to do that. I've turned down opportunities to be campaign chairperson for this person. This Judge Derryberry, last time he ran, said, Doug, would you be my honorary? You know, you won't have to do anything. Just be my honorary. I said, oh, Judge, I love you. I can't do that. I'll vote for you. <laughs> And the reason is, what we do here is so much more important than that. It, it transcends that. We are to be humble. Because there'll be people who don't see things exactly the way we do. We are to be patient and gentle. We're to bear with one another and love them like they've never been loved before. And, and then knowing that we have to have things that unify us, Paul gives us seven. He said, this is what unifies us. Let's look at it. For there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So he, he begins by saying, there's one body. This is the body of Christ. This is the doctrine of the church. To walk worthily, is to be actively involved in the local church. As members, we, we bless and we, we labor to help one another. He says, and, and you are unified by one spirit. This is the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. The one who indwells every believer. We're to follow him and we are to be filled with him. And we're to grow in the fruit of the spirit that it talks about in Galatians 5, love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We are empowered by the Holy Spirit. It's what unifies us. He says we have one hope. This is the doctrine that, that leads our, our thinking eschatologically, the, the, the doctrine of what comes next. In great hope, we look for his return. It unifies us. And we live in light of this. And we are called to be peacemakers, not troublemakers. And then he says, and one Lord, this is the doctrine of the Lordship. We are to submit and surrender to him. One faith, the doctrine of faith, a settled body of truth. Without faith, it's impossible to please God, it says in Hebrews. One baptism. This is the Doctrine of the baptism, the outward baptism, which of course is a symbol of what has already taken place in our hearts. And lastly, <laughs> one God. 
We are all children of one father, our father. When Jesus taught us to pray, he taught us to pray, our father, our father, plural. If you look at the Lord's prayer, every pronoun is plural. Our father who art in heaven, give us this day, forgive us, right? This is the church he envisions. This is the church that I believe we can be. Coming out of this 16-month time, I, I am determined to live and to preach uh, as if I just got a few more times to preach and to preach truth. Not, not that I was indifferent to it before, but a, a new thumb in my back. You may be like me. You may have somebody that you love. Maybe a son or a daughter, a grandchild, a niece, a nephew, a very close friend. That is living far from the Lord right now. And it breaks your heart. And I think one of the things that will make it possible for them to hear and for them to receive is for the body of Christ to be the body of Christ to love, to be humble, gentle, and patient, to bear with one another. I'm thinking of two people in my family that I deeply, deeply love, that I pray for every day. And I bet you have somebody that you pray for every day. And we're going to close by praying for them. Actually, we're going to pray two ways. One is that we would be the church. We would be the church. That we would walk worthily in a manner worthy of his calling. That we would follow him. And secondly, that in his great mercy, his overarching grace, he would find a son or niece or a friend or a grandchild and bring that one to him. I believe these two are connected. With your heads bowed, I've candidly shared with you I have some deep prayer concerns about people in my family. And if you do, I'd like you just to stand. We're going to close. I'm not going to ask you to come forward. I just want you to stand. If you have somebody you deeply love, that they're living far from the Lord and we want to pray for them. Would you stand?
so with everybody's eyes closed and no one looking around, I wonder if you wouldn't pray first that we would be the church that Jesus envisions, that we would be a humble, patient, gentle, forbearing, loving church. And then pray for that son or daughter, that grandchild, that niece, nephew, friend, cousin. I'll give you a moment. Would you pray about those two things? day it's been, Lord. What a joy to see so many young people bringing their children before you at the beginning of the service. What a joy it's been to sing and to worship you and to hear your word. And it's our prayer, Father, that you would work in us to make us a humble, gentle, patient, forbearing, loving church. And we pray that your great love would find our sons and daughters, our grandchildren, our friends, our nieces and nephews, our grandchildren, and bring them to a place of surrender. I know you won't do that against their will, but I also know You have a lot of things at your disposal to persuade. And we pray for that persuasion. Help us, Lord. Now, Father, I pray you will dismiss this crowd in your great grace. I pray that it would be a great Father's Day. And I pray that this week um, they would know your love and your provision, would they give and forgive and give as they have been given to forgiven? Would you bless them, I pray. In the name of Jesus, amen. God bless you, I love you. You're dismissed. Thank you for listening. For more information about our church, visit limacommunitychurch.com.